Well, good morning. Glad to be with you, and I'm excited about what we're doing. That was put together by our friends over at Discovery Church. It's just a few scenes from the four churches that are going to be uh, participating in these next four weeks. What we're going to do is, I mentioned last week, we're going to take a break from the book of Acts. Oh, we just started it. It's all right. We'll come back uh, in just a few weeks. But over these next four weeks, we're going to do something that I don't know if I've heard of churches in Colorado Springs doing. I mean, they might, People might have done this, but I haven't heard of it, at least. Uh, so I think it's a little bit unique uh, as ideas go. First of all, what we're going to be talking about is the kingdom of God. Now, that's not unique. It's something we talk about all the time. I don't know that we've ever really done like a sermon series devoted to the kingdom of God. And that's sad because there's nothing more central to the teaching ministry of Jesus Christ than this concept of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so it's going to be fun to dive into that and look at it. I'm going to start us off today, and then I am really excited about the the three weeks after I preach, because you are going to get to hear from some voices that you uh, may not have ever heard from before. Um, I, I don't know if you feel this. I feel this sometimes. We try to talk real openly at Pulpit Rock about some of the failures and the mistakes that we have made in the church. We feel convicted by this whole log in your own eye thing that someone famous once said. So we're trying to live that out and talk honestly about some of our failures as the church in America. I don't know if that ever makes you feel alone. Like, are, you know, are, is no one doing it right? Well, a lot of people are doing it right. There are some extraordinary expressions of God's kingdom in churches all across America, and especially here in our town. And you're going to get to hear from three pastors who are a part of that. So next Sunday, Greg Lindsay from Discovery Church is going to be here. Uh, Greg, he's been a pastor in this town for many years, um, started Discovery Church, and really started around this idea of let's reach people who don't know Jesus loves them. And so this like uh, heart that he has that people know you're not alone, that God is for you, and there is space for you with the people of God. That has really been what that church has been built around, and they've been doing incredible ministry in this town for many, many years. The Sunday after that, you're going to get to hear from just a brilliant woman, uh, Dr. and Pastor Melinda Joy Mingo. Uh, she started something called Janai Ministries, and it's not a church in the traditional sense of the word that you may think of. It's not a brick-and-mortar church. Janai is truly, like it's a local and international ministry that really goes to anyone who needs the life of Christ in their life. So it is missional and apostolic, and it's not about trying to get people to come to us. It is about going to them where they live and ministering to them there. She's brilliant and just has so many good things to say. I'm excited for you to hear from her. And then the last Sunday, this will be the first Sunday of October, uh, you get to hear from my friend Dr. Eric Sandris. Uh, Dr. E has uh, started Sanctuary Church, and it was a simple idea. He said, what if Christ was for the people on the margins of society too? And so he started stepping into that and kind of up around that idea grew this church, Sanctuary Church. And they do so many things for people on the margins in Colorado Springs. They have, uh, you know, feeding the hungry programs. They have showers for the homeless programs. They have addiction recovery ministries, just welcoming people who honestly would not be welcome in the majority of churches in this town into church. And it, it, like every time I go over there, I get a little emotional. It's just like this beautiful expression of God's kingdom on earth. And that's going to be the first Sunday in October. So 
I'm excited for you to hear from them. I'm also excited because while they're speaking here, I get to go to their church. And when I'm there, I'm going to talk about you people. What am I going to say? I don't know. I could say anything. You're not going to hear it. I could say literally anything about you people, like how much you like my jokes and you wish that my sermons went on longer and longer and longer and all the stuff that's true. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to say any of that stuff. What I am going to say is uh, what God has taught me through this church and through you all as a community. Um, When I was younger, I thought about being a pastor, and I think the picture that was always in my mind biblically about being a pastor was the story of Moses. You know, Moses goes up on the mountain, he meets with God, God kind of gives him this vision, and he comes down and he starts telling everybody what to do. And I'm like, that's what being a pastor is. You go, you meet with God, you get the vision, you come back, you're like, here's what we're going to do, everyone, and everybody does it. That's being a pastor. It's not actually true. Um, It's not true biblically. It's also not true experientially. At this church, I've experienced this incredible truth. God hides his vision in the hearts of his people. That's where his vision is. It's not up there on the mountain for someone like me to go discover, but he's hidden it in the hearts of his people. And the pastor's job is not to go find it, but it is to recognize it, to encourage it, to draw it out, and to say yes when it starts to bubble up. Almost all the best stuff of our church, I will tell these other churches, is something that God put on someone's heart and they showed up and they said, I have this idea, can we do this thing? And we just simply said, yes, that's great. Let's do it together. Let's step into it. And God was in it. And what I've learned at this church is as it turns out in the church, God doesn't need a Moses. Holy Spirit can speak to all of us, right? And a people who listen to the Holy Spirit are better than a Moses on a mountain every day. That's what I've learned in this church. And so a lot of the job of pastor has just been saying yes in the right moments. Now, it doesn't mean that we always say yes around here. Like we try to say yes a lot, but we don't always say yes. There's a few ideas, like uh, the missional whiskey distillery called Pulpit on the Rocks. Uh, (laughs) We said, we said no. Well, I mean, it, like, the proposal's still on the table. We're considering it. It's probably a no. It's probably a no, right? I just thought I'd test that joke before I took it to three other churches. <laughs> Do you think that works? Okay. All right. We'll see. Um, anyhow, <laughs> what was I saying? Uh, I mean this, like, Genuinely, with all my heart, this is absolutely true. The biggest asset in the kingdom of Jesus is the kingdom vision that he has hidden in the hearts of each of you people, right? Like you have a role to play. That is the biggest asset. And the best thing about this church, I think the best thing about every church is when people believe God actually loves these humans that are all around us. Let's find some ways to demonstrate that. And when they step into that, that is the best thing about the kingdom. And I see that same spirit in these other churches too. And so that's what we get to talk about these next few weeks is just how are we stepping in to his kingdom coming to earth like it is in heaven? So let's talk about it. If you read the Gospels, this is absolutely something you will notice. Uh, The kingdom was the singular obsession of the teaching ministry of Jesus. Absolutely. That was the focus of so much of what he said. 
right, was the kingdom of God. I want to look at three passages and draw some applications for our lives uh, out of those. The first is over in Matthew 4. Matthew 4 is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. John the Baptist has just died, and so Jesus is setting out to begin his ministry, and Matthew records something remarkable about his preaching ministry in particular. Verse 17, Matthew says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That was the center of his message from that time on, from the beginning to the end. What's notable about that sentence is not the word repent, right? And Pharisees, teachers of the law, they tell people to repent all the time. That's not the notable part. The notable part is the reason that Jesus gives for our repenting. The kingdom was near. It was accessible. It was present. It was available in a way that it had never been before Jesus showed up. That announcement was his favorite topic. And he built all of his teaching ministry around it. That should mean something to us as Jesus followers, that that's how he preached. Like, I think this is notable. It is notable that his teaching ministry was not about the spiritual disciplines. It's notable that his teaching ministry was not about how to eliminate all the sin in your life. Or his teaching ministry was not about how to worship God correctly. Or his teaching ministry was not even, this will wreck your theology, it was not even focused on how to get to heaven when you die. He touched on all those things, but that was not the focus of his teaching ministry ever. The focus of the teaching ministry was always the kingdom of God, and it is coming to earth as it is in heaven. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, I think we have to understand what he is talking about when he says the kingdom of God. I think that's so central to his heart. Every Christ follower needs to have a working definition of what is the kingdom of God and how does it mean something for my life. He talks about it a lot and he defines it in ways, uh, you know, like with stories and metaphors and all sorts of stuff. One of the more concrete descriptions that I just love is a, a picture he gives over in Luke chapter 4. In Luke 4, it kind of parallels Matthew 4. It's the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus goes to his hometown of all places and he goes to church, like his home church probably. It's the synagogue in his hometown. And he shows up and they're like, hey, it's Jesus. And they ask him to preach. So he says, well, go get me the scroll from Isaiah. And he unrolls it, and he finds a specific spot. It's in what, in our Bibles, Isaiah chapter 61. And he finds that spot, and he reads this to his home church. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolls up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. What's he going to say? He began by saying to them, today, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. What an astounding description of the kingdom of God. I mean, like good news, freedom, recovery of sight, uh, favor. I, like you could write tomes of theology about the concept of God's kingdom, but Jesus describes it, and it, suddenly it becomes so simple and so accessible. 
I think this is what he's trying to get us to do. He's trying to get us to think about this very simple question that is a pretty good definition of the kingdom of God. What would you imagine would happen in this world if the God of all love was in charge instead of broken humans? When you look at this world and you just use your imagination and just try to picture, what would happen if the God who loves us had his way instead of all of us having our way. That's the kingdom of God. That's his description. It's a pretty good definition. Whatever answer we come up with with that question, sometimes it might not be totally accurate, but if we think about that question long enough and devote our lives to that question, we will discover exactly what Jesus is talking about. This God whose law is love reigning on earth, that's the kingdom. And what Jesus says is, it's fulfilled. It is now available and accessible in a way that it has not historically been. And he describes what it looks like. It looks like poor people getting good news that they've been longing to hear their whole lives. It looks like uh, people being set free from imprisonment and from bondage that has held them back. People being able to see for the first time in their lives to see the way things are. The oppression would end. Everyone would know like once and for all how deeply God loves them and favors them, looks on them with favor, not disgust or disappointment or judgment or condemnation, but with favor. Whew. I mean, if that doesn't do something to your heart, a world like that, Jesus starts his ministry by saying, that is now available. That is now fulfilled. And it's such a beautiful picture of what we humans were created to experience. You keep reading in Luke 4, um, people hear this and they respond exactly how you'd expect them to respond. They're like, oh, oh, it just grips their heart. They're like, yes, that's what we want. And they start looking at Jesus. They're like, man, this guy, he's something special. He could be the one. And they start talking about how great he is. And I think it's this inner cry of all of our hearts that when someone starts talking like that, you're like, oh, if only, if only in my lifetime. If only I could be a part of that in my day. That's what they were experiencing, that longing and that hope that was rekindled to get a taste of that on earth. Who wouldn't want that? But here's the punchline of the story. You keep reading in Luke 4, um, they're talking about how great Jesus is. You, you skip to the end. The shocking conclusion of the story is these same people try to take Jesus and throw him off a cliff. They try to kill him. Well, what changes between this moment and the end of the story? Well, you know, Jesus didn't know when to exit stage left. He had him. He should have just walked away. But he keeps on preaching, which is a lesson for us preachers. Um, he keeps on preaching. He brings up two Old Testament stories. We don't have time to look at them or the implications. Let me just summarize those. The Old Testament stories are about moments when God chose not to use his people, but went to the people that Israel hated. And Jesus brings up those stories and the implication being that God's kingdom is not just for you people who are hearing me, but it is also for the people that you hate. It's also for the people that you would exclude. It's for your enemies. And not enemies like, I, you know, oh, I don't like that. Like people that we would try to kill sort of enemies. Jesus says that's who the kingdom is for. 
And when Jesus says that, the, the, the crowd is like, well, you went too far. And they try to kill him. And it's probably an overreaction. Um, but it's instructive. There's something to notice in that. I think this is what we have to notice in Luke 4. When God's kingdom comes to earth, this is what Jesus is trying to convince us of. When God's kingdom comes to earth as it is in heaven, that means the experience of God's love and grace and favor for you. Absolutely. Absolutely it is for you. For me, I I, I sure hope so. Absolutely. And also for the people that we would exclude or hate. That's the kingdom he's trying to convince us to participate in. Jesus says, repent, because that kingdom has come near. He's saying, turn towards that thing. And it is the most radical message that has ever been uttered on earth, I'm convinced. And like when you glimpse it, when you glimpse how hard it was sometimes for people to internalize it, how this idea, it requires us to fight, not just to experience God's love for ourselves, but for everyone else, especially those that we hate, to also experience God's love. When you glimpse, that's actually what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the kingdom of God. Honestly, the question is, why didn't more people try to throw him off a cliff? Because it's radical. What he's talking about is radical. But I think something we need to notice in the story is not the reaction of the people to Jesus, but the reaction of Jesus to these people who tried to kill him. Uh, Luke tells us he just kind of basically walks away in some miraculous way, just kind of moves through the crowd, just goes on, and he, like he's just unfazed by the whole thing. He just keeps talking about the kingdom. Next place he preaches, repent, the kingdom of God has come near. He talks about the same thing. That was the subject of all of his sermons, the kingdom of God. And he just seems unfazed despite people's reactions. Uh, Jesus has this remarkable confidence about God's kingdom, despite the fact that sometimes when he talks about it, people want to kill him. That's astounding to me. He's still, though, he, he keeps talking. He's like, it's near, it's here, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. I find that shocking and sometimes want to argue with Jesus. I'm like, It's here. What do you mean? It's near? I don't know. Look around, Jesus. Look. It doesn't always look like the kingdom of God is near, right? It gets pretty ugly down here. But, uh, you know, that desire to argue with him, I feel like he's going to respond the same to me that he responded to the crowds that tried to kill him. Just unfazed, like he was sure that the kingdom of God was a sure thing. Whether people tried to kill him or argue with him, he was like positive. This is happening, everyone. Participate. That's his message. So I think we need to learn something from his definition, but I also think there's a lesson for us in his confidence that we need to internalize. Two passages that I I think really get at this. Matthew 13, find your way there. Um, Jesus, he's always confident about the kingdom, but here, like he just, like he tips his hat to what's going to happen in the next couple thousand years. And it, like, it just is a ridiculous amount of confidence to have when you consider the moment in which he is saying these things. Matthew 13, he tells us two parables. Here they are. Matthew writes, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. 
He told him still another parable. Kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. You hear some confidence there? Jesus is like, yeah, you can make fun of the mustard seed for being so small. Put it in the ground and just wait. Just wait. See what happens. And this woman, like 60 pounds of flour, like that, that's a lot of flour. Is she trying to feed Christie's family? <laughs> just, um, just a little bit of yeast, though. A little bit of yeast infests and infects the whole thing. He says, this is what God is doing on earth. Um, That kingdom of God, this picture of what the world would look like if the loving God reigned on earth instead of us broken humans, it will not be stopped and it will constantly expand. Constantly. Right now, what he's saying is whether we recognize it or not, and certainly whether we participate in it or not, the reign of the loving, forgiving, and merciful God is growing. Jesus believes that. Jesus was saying that 2,000 years ago. Right now, it is growing. It is infesting the dough. It is crashing down to earth. And I know we miss it. I know we don't see it. We let ourselves get fearful. But our distraction doesn't make what Jesus said any less true, does it? Jesus says, it cannot be stopped. And I think that's especially relevant for us in our day because one of the things that's happening in our day and has happened in every generation for the last 2,000 years, but it's especially happening in our day, is there's a lot of people trying to sound the alarm and say, oh no, oh no, look at what's happening around us. We're losing it, guys. You know, this is the end. The church has lost its way. People leaving churches left and right. People watering down the gospel. We should all be very afraid God's plans are about to come to a grinding heart because, a halt because we're messing it all up, everyone. For 2,000 years in every generation, there have been voices trying to sound the alarm like that. And for 2,000 years in every generation, those voices have been wrong. It's not to say we don't mess it up. But somehow, even when we mess it up, it still moves forward and expands. And for 2,000 years, this prediction of this metaphor has proven to be right. And Jesus' confidence has proven to be right. It's astounding how confident he is. The kingdom has been constantly expanding. It has not been stopped. It hasn't been able to be stopped even when people have tried. It's almost as if when Jesus, 2,000 years ago, looked at this thing, he's like, well, you know, maybe God's in charge of it and it'll be just fine. Wouldn't it be nice to have that sort of confidence in what we're a part of? How do we learn to cultivate that and just learn from his confidence here in the kingdom. Um, I want to point out just two, two things that maybe we could take to heart, maybe would change something in us. First, obvious thing we have to see in these metaphors, the way Jesus tells both stories, both examples, the kingdom is starting very small 
And then it is expanding, right? That's obvious. And it's instructive, I think. I think it's meant to be instructive. And I think one of the tendencies that we have is when we start considering this question of what would the world look like if the loving God reigned on earth, we can get stuck with just those giant answers. You know, like all poverty would end and racism would end and abuse would all cease and loneliness would go away. And that's what the kingdom of God would look like. And that is what the kingdom of God would look like. All those things will eventually become true. But that's not actually the story of how the movement of Jesus has unfolded on earth. It's more similar to those metaphors that it starts small and it expands. Like the mustard seed, honestly, you can make a case for the mustard seed is the life of Christ. His life and ministry, it, like, it was pretty small. Like, very small. When Jesus went to heaven, we've been looking at this in Acts, how many people were left? 120 people cared about Jesus when he ascended into heaven. 120 people. That's a mustard seed, right? And those 120 people just trying to imitate the life of Jesus in an authentic way and bear witness to who he was became this 2,000-year-long movement that is the largest and fastest-growing faith in the world. That's what he was describing. That's the confidence that he had. It starts small and it expands. And I would say this, that confidence should not just be a confidence that we have globally about how God's kingdom unfolds across the globe. I think that also is something that we could take to heart for each of us as individuals. Jesus has confidence about this. I think what he believes about you and about me is that the small things we do in our life that are aligned with the kingdom will inevitably expand. I think that's what he believes. And I think sometimes we get frustrated and we don't start those small things because we're like, I want the big thing. And Jesus is like, well, just start small, wherever you are. You know, if your life is great, if your life is horrible, if you're just indifferent to everything, I think what Jesus would say with confidence is just start small. Start with small things and let it grow and expand. Just like start with this question. Ask, if I really align my life with the God who loves me so deeply, if I started treating myself as if this God really does love me so deeply, this God who forgives me, who has more mercy for me than I want to have for myself. Like, is there one small thing, maybe just like, maybe really small thing that I would adjust if I believed that everything that God said about me was true. Just start walking faithfully in that. And I think part of what Jesus is saying is just wait a little bit. Just start with that small thing and just wait. Let God do what only God can do. It'll expand. Jesus is saying this is how the kingdom works. And it's true whether we're talking about our personal struggles that we wrestle with, but it also is true if we're talking about like Let's impact the entire world for Jesus. Start small, let it grow, let it expand. That's the beauty of these metaphors. I think what he's teaching us is this. Jesus teaches us that the pressure is off, right? The pressure is off because God is moving his kingdom forward. We don't have to. God is moving his kingdom forward. What we need to do is we just need to find our small ways to experience it and participate in it. That's the lesson of this. That's what the kingdom life is about. And here's the thing. Nobody can find those small ways for you. Those are questions that you have been given the Holy Spirit to answer, is to, to figure that stuff out. God, what does it look like for me to step into this? And then to step into it. 
There's one other thing that I think we need to apply out of this, and I want to close with this. Um, Let me show you a picture. You might have seen this picture before. Uh, This is an aspen grove in Utah. Uh, It it has a name. It's called Pando the Trembling Giant. And this is the largest organism on earth. Can you believe that? This is the largest single organism on earth. What, uh, like the, uh, the tree science people, what are those people called? Arborists? The first service said that, and I didn't believe them. That's why I ask you people, but if you all said it, I believe you. Arborists. What arborists have said, as we all know, um, they've, they've gone through the grove, and they've tested various trees in this grove, and they have discovered that they all share the exact same DNA. Now, you may know this about aspen trees. Uh, Aspen trees reproduce in two ways. They reproduce the traditional way with seeds, but also, if you have one in your yard, you may have noticed they send out roots, and up from the roots sprout little tiny baby aspen trees, and then if you leave them alone, they'll grow up, and you'll have multiple aspen trees that way, and that seems to have been what has happened here, that underneath this forest, the arborists speculate that there is one massive interconnected root system and that this is just one organism. That's astounding. We've talked about this before and I still am astounded. Like it, it, it just is an amazing reality. This is maybe the largest organism ever on earth. Certainly the largest organism that exists right now. I don't think we have mustard trees in Colorado. Maybe, I'm not an arborist, so maybe we do. But um, I wonder this, if Jesus lived here, if he walked around in our mountains, if he was teaching from what we all knew here in Colorado, I wonder if he wouldn't say something like this. The kingdom of God is like a baby aspen tree. But given enough time, it grows into the largest organism on the planet. I think that's what he's getting at. It, just, it starts small and it grows and it expands And so one picture of the kingdom of God in Colorado Springs, when you think about all these other churches and you think about all these other believers here, is like, think of us as one giant aspen grove. And while we look each individually like a a tree, just living our life with Jesus alone, somehow on the surface, that's what we look like. But underneath the surface, we are all in some supernatural way that only Jesus really fully understands, connected to his life. We love that image so much. Of course, this is where we got the name for the Pando Collective. Um, The Pando Collective is kind of this missional living part of our church that we've launched. It basically will partner with anyone doing kingdom work in Colorado Springs. It also does training. There's going to be a training coming up in October where all four of these churches are going to be invited. I think it's going to be over at Discovery, and I think Roland's going to be teaching that. So look for more details on that. But let's just think about this metaphor for a second. Just look at that picture again. Just think about this. If you and I went for a walk, through this grove, what would we notice about these trees? Like they're all pretty different, probably. Some are old, some are young, some are big, some are small. We're going to see some trees that have scars, broken limbs. Some are going to be tall and straight. Some are going to be definitely not straight. Some are healthy, some are sick, maybe some are dying. But they all have the same DNA. Right? My friends, this is what we are. We all have our things. We all, we all got our issues. We all got our stuff. And Jesus knew all about our stuff when he brought us together 
as this one massive, beautiful grove. And his vision is to blend all of our things together so that we become this beautiful, unstoppable expression of his love breaking into the earth. That is his vision for you and me. That is what he thinks the Christian life is about. That's what he's trying to convince us to to participate in. He's trying to convince us that we were created to work with the rest of the grove for this vision that's bigger than us. You know, I, I think the problem that we have sometimes stepping into that is, have you ever heard that old phrase, um, you miss the forest for the trees? Have you ever heard that? It's an old expression. You miss the forest for the trees. What that expression is getting at is that sometimes, like, we can get so focused, like there's just like one tree that we're just staring down and we're just so focused on that one tree that we totally, it's lost on us that that one tree is a part of this beautiful, expansive forest. Because all we can see is that one tree. Um, Sometimes churches can be that way, right? Sometimes churches can be so focused on their thing, their perspective, their theology, their whatever they're doing, that they, they lose sight of the fact that they are one small part of a massive kingdom. But I think we can be that way as individuals, right? As individuals, we can get so focused on our thing, our tree, our life, our problems, our goals, that we miss this kingdom thing that we've been brought into. We miss the confidence of our Savior. I think this is what happens sometimes, like when we have problems. Like this is, this is the whole, all the teaching about not worrying and about trusting God. Is It's not just like, hey, your problems, they're not that big of a deal. Your problems matter. But the challenge with having a problem when we experience something bad in our life is it can shrink our focus so all we see is our problem, right? I think this is what's been happening, and it's, uh, maybe it's our lifetime. It certainly is something that feels relatively new. When we Christians become so obsessed with politics and our emotions rise and fall based on who gets elected or what policies are voted in or voted out, it's like we're just so focused on that tree, of the American political system, right? And we miss the forest that's unfolding and that God has planted all across the globe. Um, missing the forest for the trees. I was thinking of times when I've done this. Um, you might relate to this, this story. Um, so I've been senior pastor here at Pulberock for three years. I've been at Pulberock for 18 years. So I was pastor in other areas uh, for the first 15 years. I always like to say, my 15-year plan to take over the church worked perfectly, yes. Um, uh, anyhow, so if you're doing the math, uh, you, you realize this. I became senior pastor in the summer of 2019, and that means my first Easter as senior pastor was COVID Easter. You remember COVID Easter, April of 2020? Um, you know, Easter might just be a, a little holiday for you, but if you're a pastor, Easter is a pretty big deal right? Pretty big deal. And I, I'm here standing here, right? You know, preaching to a totally empty sanctuary. And like, I, you know, at that point, it's April of 2020. We didn't know, like, are we all going to die? Is the world going to explode? What is ha- There's all these different theories about COVID. It's going to be over tomorrow. It's going to last for 20 years. Like, we didn't know anything, right? And so I'm looking out on the totally empty sanctuary and I don't really remember what I preached on that Sunday. It was probably Jesus. But um, it, 
I don't recall. But I remember to this day, I remember actual thoughts that went through my head. Like, I, I might be preaching at the last Easter Sunday at Pulpit Rock Church. And like, man, I thought it'd take me longer than a year to drive everyone away. <laughs> Stuff like that. And I, like, it was super like just emotionally painful for me. I know it wasn't my fault. I know it was a worldwide pandemic, but at that moment I did something, and I don't know if you can relate to this, uh, but I made it all about me, you know? I made it all about my thing, and I, you know, I don't know if anyone else, I don't want to make assumptions. Did anyone else make the worldwide pandemic of COVID all about how they were inconvenienced? Was it just me? the worst. I was like, this is not what I pictured, not what I wanted. And all I could see was the tree of my life. And I lost sight of the unstoppable, unconquerable kingdom of God that was still expanding even during a pandemic. I lost sight of it because I just was like, oh, woe is me. I was focused on my tree. My hunch is, I, maybe a lot of us did that. My hunch is this. These last two years have been a global loss of perspective for believers. We're struggling to get it back. We've gotten so focused on our experience that we've lost this broader sense of the unconquerable, unstoppable kingdom of the living God that our Savior walked every day of this earth with. We've lost the confidence he had in it. And I know it's been hard, and my goal is not to minimize anyone's feelings or make you feel bad for something that you felt, but also we probably should consider how is it that Jesus remained confident in the kingdom of God even when he said something about it and people tried to kill him? Well, I think he saw the forest, not the trees. He was really good at that, seeing the forest, not the trees. And we have to learn and cultivate that way of life too. I think this is why he starts his ministry with repent because the kingdom has come near. Um, he's not saying stop sinning. We understand repent means to turn, right? So he's saying turn. And maybe part of what he's saying, using our metaphor, is would you just turn from that tree that you're staring at and just consider the forest of God's love that is sprouting up all around you and I've made you a part of it. Not so you could just focus on your tree, but so that you could participate with all the stuff that I'm doing here on earth. But to see it, to participate in it, you're going to have to turn away from some things in your life. We've been included in the greatest, most beautiful reclamation project in the history of the universe. The God of love reestablishing his reign on the earth that he created. That's what we are a part of. It is that big and it is that worthy of our lives. But we've got to turn from some of the stuff that distracts us. And we've got to start with some small things. And the question today is what do you need to turn from? And what is the small thing that you need to start with? Wherever you find yourself planted in this grove, wherever you're sprouting up, like your work, your school, your neighborhood, your friends, with whatever God's given you, the strengths, the weaknesses, your personality, your wounds, your problems, your hopes, your dreams, you have been perfectly positioned in the grove of the kingdom of God. You've been positioned to, in a way that none of the rest of us can, imagine a world where the God of love reigns on earth and then lean into it. 
None of us can do that the way you can, and none of us can do that for you. That's what you've been invited into. And so today, could we just borrow some of the confidence of Jesus? The kingdom is here. The kingdom is coming to earth as it is in heaven. May we turn from our lives and seek it first. Lord, we come to you thankful. God, we're thankful that your vision for us was not just to whisk us away to heaven, but to allow us to experience some of heaven on earth in our life. We thank you for that, God. Our hearts long to experience that. And we recognize that you and only you are the way. And so, God, we embrace it. We borrow your confidence. We lean into it. Give us vision to see not just what's unfolding in our lives, but what is unfolding all around us. Connect us to it. And help us to find our place in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.